Um, but the text, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, which is a funny place to begin, but this is literally the place we like to begin. So the word has already been um, sh- spoken today. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I want to begin here. And then I want to park us at the very end, actually back in the book of Daniel. But as just a reminder, or for those of you who are brand new, this book is so deeply relevant to our moment because we live in a culture of confusion and in so many ways in a culture that many of the narratives and scripts are hostile to the way of Jesus. We've talked about how we are in a post-Christian world, which is different in some ways from the church in Daniel where Most of the um, values around love and justice and freedom that our culture adheres to are literally and explicitly Judeo-Christian values, but they have been in some ways distorted. They have been twisted from their core, from their origin, from, uh, as we've said again and again, they are values of the kingdom that don't adhere to the king. Right? Love is love is a, is a nothing statement. It means nothing. I know what it's meant to mean, but it doesn't actually truly mean anything. What is love? How do we understand it? And so we can have these values, and when they are untethered from the king, untethered from their origin, you could say when they are colonized, right? Which is so much of what's happened in progressive and hyper-conservative colonization. Both sides of the coin tend to swallow these ideas up, make them their own, weaponize them. And then we as followers of Jesus are left going, oh, we have a very different version of love and justice and mercy and grace. And, and so we're feeling that confusion, which is why we did this series. And Daniel, Daniel is this brilliant prophet from a very young age to the age of 70, where we left him last week in Daniel 6, has been this faithful witness, has been somebody who has desired the good of Babylon, these people, this, this nation that has colonized his people. He desires their good, but will not participate in their systems. He desires the good of the world around them and is, is loving his enemies, even serving his enemies, but he won't participate in the brokenness of the systems because he knows he can't actually love and serve them well if he's not faithful to God. You following? You with me? And the thing we talked about like mid-stride in this series that Daniel keeps going back to, the practice that he keeps going back to is one of prayer. And so Paul, writing to a church in Thessalonica, a few years after Jesus ascends, this incredible apprentice of Jesus, Paul, is he just says, rejoice always, pray continually. Adeltoi is the, the word in the Greek of continually. It is literally this idea of without stopping. You'll read, you know, it can be translated in a number of different ways. Pray without ceasing. Always be joyful, never stop praying. Celebrate always, pray constantly and give thanks to God no matter what. This is God's will. Be cheerful no matter what. Pray at all times. This is the way God wants you to live. However you word it, this is is how Paul wants people to operate regularly in the world. For Paul, this writer to this outpost of the kingdom, prayer is relational as much as it is functional. It's this idea of moving through life in relationship to God. Prayer is a whole life orientation toward 
God. One writer says, prayer is an established posture of relationship with God that becomes the context within which we experience all of the events and all of the relationships of our lives. Paul talks about this idea of praying constantly. By the way, if you have the image in your head and you're already ready to check out, like this is like I'm supposed to be on my knees like constantly, like, like join a monastic order and just be like on the ground interceding and asking God for things. And I don't know how these guys even pray that long and come up with new things to thank God for. Like this sort of forced thing. This is not what Paul is getting at. In the same way, many of you can't turn the worry off in your head. In some ways, you can't even focus on a song. There's no shame. But you can't focus on a song for like two seconds without like uh, distraction, distraction, distraction. All Paul's saying is all of that, that constant ticker tape that's going on, what if that was all rooted in the love and grace and mercy of God? Like your, your just default or your anchor points kept pulling you back. It, it, you're just in a, you're, you're growing in your constant awareness and whole life orientation toward God. So Paul talks about this idea elsewhere to the church of Galatia, and he talks about it like walking in the Spirit. Jesus talks about abiding. Like if you don't um, make the idea behind abiding, right, is making your home in God. If you don't abide in God, if you don't make your home in God, your regular rhythms in God, God's not your center point. He literally says very clearly, your life won't bear much fruit at all. Simple question, pastor question here. Does anyone want their life to bear fruit? Yes. Anyone want like that peace that surpasses all understanding? Anyone want to walk in like the joy in chaos, right? Like a peace that makes no sense. We sing that. We're like, yes, we know God can do it. And so we're like, so God, do it more often. All the while, we just like uh, ignore and avoid him at all costs sometimes. Or just we live in a constant state of distraction. We're not actively trying to avoid. It's like we're really, really, really moving, 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 moving. And Jesus like, would you like to experience all that stuff you were singing about? Make your home in me. Slow down. Constantly be in prayer. Like come and root yourself with me. Brother Lawrence talks about it in this way. Um, it's been said this is like the second most um, popular purchased or read, I think it's read book in the world is Brother Lawrence's book, Practicing the Presence of God. He talks about this idea of being in a regular rhythm of going and anchoring yourself to the Lord. The first and most basic thing, Dallas Willard says, that we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is the direct and redirect our minds constantly to him. In the early time of our practicing, like when we're first learning to get our hands on the way of Jesus, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. That's what I was just talking about. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and they can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon, our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, he will become the pole star of our inward beings. 
Dallas has got a way with words, right? The most important thing in life is very simple. Most important things in life, wake up, make a cup of coffee, a good cup of coffee. Two people now on our staff don't drink coffee, and I don't know what to do with that. I keep trying to disciple them. Two, you get your whole person, your mind and body into the presence of God. You do whatever is necessary. And then three, you do everything you can to live out of that place. Whether it's only like four minutes after you spent time with the Lord or four hours, and then you keep coming back. This, we're told, is the most important thing. This is what Jesus called the secret place. We read in Matthew 6, it says, when you pray, when you pray, go into your room, go into your room and close the door. Now, this isn't like your apartment or your dorm room or your, like, old, beautiful colonial on Blackstone or whatever. Like, most of life was actually done outdoors. Most people had a home that was one room, and there was one small door in the corner of the room. It was a back room that was storage, and it also served as sort of a mini barn, unless, again, unless you were really rich. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, go there. When you pray, go into that room. That's where you go to shut out the noise. For Jesus, right, it's more than just a room in your house. It's a room in your heart. It's the secret place. When you are aware of God, when you're intentionally blocking everything else out in a regular way and then living from that place, and we're told that this right here, hear this, is the ultimate source of joy. Now, this, this reminds me really quickly, for those of you who go like, okay, cool, that sounds like it should be the ultimate source of joy, maybe in some esoteric like, way that I maybe I'll understand when I'm 80, it's the source of joy, but definitely not now, because I've got a whole laundry list of things that are ultimately the source of joy before this. I get it. But as, who is it? Chesterton said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting, it's just that it hasn't actually been tried. I think for so many of us, we just get stuck. Providence, guys, providence goes looking for joy everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere but the secret place. New restaurant openings, new bars, new bands, new promotion, new breakthrough at Brown. Like, I, my goodness. Or if it's not joy that we're chasing, we don't know how to get off the treadmill of just like an average sort of happiness that we're just kind of okay with coasting through. We'll have a few peak moments where we'll go, what am I doing in my life? And maybe if we're sharp enough and awake enough, we will allow that midlife or quarter-life crisis to actually disrupt us in a good way. Instead of like buying a car and driving off with somebody else other than our spouse, we'll actually wake up and go, oh, I'm living for a bunch of stuff that sucks. No one's struggling with that though right now, I know. So I just, random tangent. I see you. I see you, fellas. We got this redeemed midlife crisis, 20-something singles. Like, I see your quarter-life crisis coming up. So much there. I think for a lot of us, we just don't know how to get off the treadmill, and so it takes an event like that to disrupt us. The beauty of the way of Jesus is that joy is not found out there. Joy is not found in the next excursion, in the next, like, stamp on our passport, and the next speakeasy, and the next crew we can get together, and the next hookup, and whatever it is for you. The next, like, notch in the, like, the ladder of climbing, of climbing your, your work. Like, the beauty of the way of Jesus is it's not out there. 
You don't need a new car, a new house, more money, the promotions, new experiences. Like you don't need any of it to walk in joy. You don't need it. I want to encourage you to trust that. There is an undercurrent. This is how I think of praying constantly. An undercurrent right underneath the distraction of our mind and right underneath all of the disordered loves of our heart. We just have to slow down to tap into it. So three things I want to share with you that I'm working on. One, to slow down. A life of hurry will sweep you away from being present to the God who is with you. It's been said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. If the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. By the way, so much of this part of the teaching is from this great book from a friend of mine who wrote this book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I encourage you to pick this up. Right? Both hustle and busyness, these things, they, and, and the, the distraction, they cut off your life with God. This is, by the way, not just for type A workaholics. Some of you are so busy, like so busy because you have Netflix. Right? Again, no shame, just like, to be honest. Some of you aren't busy because you're hustling. You're like, yeah, those type A people, I know how to rest. Binge, binge, binge. Like, you're not aware, like awake and alive to the God is with you. It's just another... I mean, this is why I think hurry is such a big deal in our current moment. Like, some of you got too many friends. I know it's hard for folks where you're like, I don't have any friends. Spread the love a little. You have too many friendships. You can't have that many meaningful friendships. And you're jumping from person to person to person to person to maintain them all. And you've got to figure out a way to start to jellyfish and not return those calls. Never thought you'd hear a pastor say that, did you? (laughs) I'm not saying all of you. Some of you got to get out of your closet. (laughs) Two, open your life to the Spirit. We have to open our life to the Spirit. This is how we do this. We have to remove obstructions. Simple question that I love to ask. Does this activity open me up to the flow of the Spirit or block me off? Too often we run our schedule through the lens of sin which is a moral lens, which is fine and good. We need to think about our morals. But we need to think of this with prayer through a relational lens. Does this lead me into the arms of the Father? Or does this just distract me, numb me, until the next opportunity to be numbed and distracted? Right? Again, Brother Lawrence talks about, I mean, he's just, he was world-renowned. People would write letters. How is it that you're praying? He wasn't a pastor or a priest or a prophet. He was washing dishes in a monastery and people noticed something about his joy and his peace and the, and the life that he had. And he says the most important part of practicing the presence of God is, quote, renouncing once and for all whatever does not lead to God. Renouncing once and for all whatever does not lead to God. Run it through that lens. Run it through that lens. Does this activity lead me to God? This is what will help open you up. And it's not the same for everybody. Last night, after the Love Providence afternoon with the Fall Fest, my gosh, I was so excited. And there's like a handful of us that were lingering at the end. And we're like, we got to celebrate. A little after party. I'm like, you know, those of you who know me well know I'm always down for that. So let's go, like, uh, my wife had to run an errand, and my oldest had a, had a um, play date. So I'm with the younger two, 
And Corey just drops me off in the neighborhood where we live, where there's this little neighborhood pub there. And so we like go over to the pub and we meet a couple other people there. And we're sitting up there on the tables. And I'm just like sitting here enjoying, like loving being together. In fact, this actually happened. If you want to show this video real quick. That was me on a bar. That's me dancing on a bar. That's your pastor dancing on a bar. You can feel free to leave the church now if you'd like. I lost, I lost this game, and one of the games had this dare, and the dare, and it's a long story, but basically I had to do it. So I know the guy who owns the pub, and I went over, and I said, is there any chance I could just jump on the bar and dance for a quick second? And he's like, I'm looking the other way. Go. <laughs> Here's why I say this. To open yourself up to God, I will say that was one of the most like, holy afternoons. I don't even know if anybody around me knew this. I'm having meaningful conversation with other friends, a bunch of singles in our church I don't get to connect with, sadly, as often as I used to, hearing their stories, and I find myself, and I'm just getting new to this, so please don't think of me as some spiritual professional, but again and again, all night, I kept finding myself praying for people. I kept finding myself, oh man, God, thank you, God bless, like, wow, good Lord, God, would you like allow that dream that that person just shared with me to come true? What, oh, I'm noticing like there's a tension over here with this person, like, Holy Spirit, like, would you come and you ease that? I'm watching my girls. I'm praying for my two girls who are getting to, like, just dance around, like, with other, like, these other, like, folks who don't have kids. And I'm watching this beautiful family thing happen where, like, folks who are like, yeah, I don't know how much longer I can take these kids, but this, I know this is good for me. (laughs) It was this great moment. My point being is, is when we actually begin to look at our life as opening ourselves up or blocking things off that don't lead to the way of God, this isn't about some, um, necessarily some journey, some aesthetic journey, ascetic journey, like into a prayer corner somewhere, being on our knees 24-7. What begins to happen the more that we pay attention to what actually opens us up to God or closes us off to God, which is different for all of us, we find ourselves being able to live a life of constant prayer. Number three, arrange our days around the practice of the presence of God. And this is where I want to land. We need to stop hurrying open our life to the Spirit, and then three, arrange our days around the practice of the presence of God. We achieve inner peace when our schedule is aligned with our values. Structure, even for you like sevens on the Enneagram or whatever, like is a good thing. Structure leads us actually to spontaneity. You must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment and joy and clarity. Again, I use this example all the time, but some of y'all are so good at the gym and so bad at prayer, and nobody gets that. I don't get that. I mean, I get it. I can understand why. But don't come singing like, you are the one I want, Lord, more than anything else, when the really one is a better body more than anything else if you actually looked at my time. Maybe a challenge for, for some of us today would be skip the gym this week and take all that time in some prayer things we're going to send out in a bit. That may be a little, that may be much. But just whatever the next step might be for you. We must arrange our days so sin no longer looks attractive. We've got to arrange our days so that you're experiencing deep joy and clarity threaded throughout. The goal of a disciple or an apprentice of Jesus is to live as many moments of our day attentive to God 
Prayer, more than any other single activity, is what places us in the flow of the Spirit. And when we pray, hearts get convicted. And when we sin, like, like, or sorry, sin gets confessed, and believers get united, and intentions get encouraged, and stubbornness gets melted. Sorrows get comforted, and faith is born, and hope is grown, and love triumphs. I could go on and on. In the presence of God, we come closest to being fully ourselves. Look, the goal of prayer and to arrange our days in such a way that we are trying to continually be in prayer is to live all of our life and speak all of our words in the joyful awareness of the presence of God. You ready? Come on up. I want to invite up St. Leonard. You can come right up this way. As I was preparing this message, and again, you're wondering, what does any of this have to do with Daniel? We're almost there. Some of you probably have already connected the dots. But I was thinking, as this has been, I was sharing this is like a new journey for me to actually, like, anchor my days, anchor the moments of my days to prayer. I, I, I wish I had just gotten started on this journey in a more, like, intense way far sooner. I've had these little spits and spurts. I thought of Len. Len, by the way, is um, Sarah Cowan-Johnson's dad, um, who's been a pastor and a preacher for a long time. That's your claim to fame. <laughs> so grateful. So in a minute, you know, when, as we land this, this teaching today, we're going to land it in some really like clear um, invitations to practice this together and to really change the culture or, or push the culture along of our church. But I wanted, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to um, have Len share with us um, was uh, for you to share um, what, the, what has been the fruit of this. We've been talking a lot about, in Daniel, the fruit of this has been his ability to not participate in these very persuasive systems. Um, we can infer a lot about his in, interior world um, as he has gone up against these, like, sort of epic, heroic stories where... You know, he's just willing to keep coming back and just three times a day, morning, noon, and night, center himself on the Lord. Like, like um, help us fall in love with fixed hour prayer. Yeah, yeah. Well, first thing that comes to mind was um, the pandemic, which was also the time when my late wife was slowly dying of a neuromuscular disease. So we were basically together in the house, and I'm caring for her as she's losing the capacity to physically be able to move, to talk, and so forth, and total care with some outside assistance. But this fixed hour prayer was so important for us, just by way of just reminding ourselves that we were still loved by God, that um, there was peace at work in us, that the frustration and anger that I felt as this was happening to us, uh, I was able to offload that number of times a day. And, and, and it, was, it was such that, you know, I would so look forward to that. And, and we began to do this with other people online, on Zoom. We were doing this four times a day, and I a few more times on my own, this fixed hour thing. And we said, I wonder if there's some people who want to join us. And that became wonderful, is that we would be on Zoom. First she was sitting next to me. Then she was in her chair when she could no longer sit next to me. Then she was just listening in and so on. But it was just to deal with anxiety and anger 
and to find this deep peace with God during the day, oh my gosh, nothing like it. I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, second thing is um, I don't think we as a whole, if you're amongst the people who call yourself a Christian or a church person or a follower of Jesus, we haven't been very distinguished in the last 10 years. We've really been pretty ugly, I think, to the culture as a whole. They hear the word Christian or church and they kind of recoil because of some ways that we behaved. And I, I think it's just because we've been distracted by all the things that have been going on. Things that we can look at, you know, on our machines and stuff going on. Things that we're going to talk about up there a little while. These are things that are, are important, but they're so distracting. And this is a tool that simply says, don't get distracted. You know, it's like Jesus saying, look at me, look at me. Look, 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 look. It's like, you know, if you have a, if you, if you have a dog who's anxious, you know, you, you kind of want to talk to the dog and kind of calm the dog down. Sometimes you look the dog in the face. It's me. I'm here. I'm here. I feel that's the way Jesus wants to do with us. He wants to say, look at me. Look, look. I'm here. I'm here. Don't, don't get distracted. No, no, no. Just for a moment. Look at me. I'll, I'll let you go back, but look at me. And it changes. It changes everything. And then the last thing is this, is I'm now 70 and I've been convinced through all that we've been through, God is up to some amazing things. He's doing some really incredible stuff that you experienced yesterday, right? And there it is. It's happening. And, and he is on the move. And I don't want to miss out. I don't want to be, I mean, people of my generation, you know, the boomer generation, oh, my God. You know, I mean, we're just so into our stuff, so into our promoting ourselves. And now it's my turn. And you young people, you need to take care of me and all that kind of stuff. And that kind of bitterness, that kind of distractedness, that kind of self-promotion that happens as you age, I, I, I want to be away from that because I want to be a, what, what God's doing until he calls me home or until he comes with power and revival, which I think is coming. I want to be in on that, and this is a way that I can keep attuned so that I'm not kind of surprised or it just totally passes me by. So, anyway. That should be the place we close, but, <laughs> but you know, I have the microphone. Decades of giving your life to this practice. I know it's the awkward question because it's sort of like you don't want to talk yourself up. Um, and it's not. You're not talking yourself up. You're talking your your Lord and Savior up, and you just try to have been paying attention. Like, how, um, you mentioned anxiety, and how when you look out, uh, look, look back over the last 70, um, when you think about facing this, my dad calls it the fourth quarter, he's your age, his fourth quarter. What have been, like, the, 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 the pillars that have formed in you? What, when you, you look back, you're like, I don't, I'm sure there's so many other things you could credit your own spiritual growth in, but um, you, you, Len, as far as I understand, I have understood you and gotten to know you are like a master level apprentice and disciple, right? Which is, you know, the not, you can't say that about you, but I can say that about you. Um, how did, how, did, give these folks, many of whom are not at your age, a vision of who you who they can become yeah. well I guess you know one of the pillars is I look for really great people 
um, you know, I looked around and I would say, okay, who is it that I think is living a great life with God? And I, I want to get to know you. And in fact, in my case, with some people, I want to compete with you. It would be like, okay, so how, how are you praying? And then they say, all right, well, I'm going to join you in that, and, and I'll up you, you know, I'll, I'll do a, you know, it's kind of like adding another chip. You know, this sense of wanting to find these people, and one of them, of course, was, was my late wife. I mean, Hallie was just at the star level when I met her, um, you know, in her 20s. There was something about her. I said, this woman is on for God, and I want what she has, and then eventually it's, I want her <laughs> in my life. And, and so that was just, to, to be living with somebody like that was just beyond compare, so that God just became invested in every area of our life, literally every area of our life. Uh, he, he poked his face in, and it was a good face. Sometimes it was a face that said, okay, we can do better here. Um, but generally, you know, just this amazing, amazing face. So kind of uh, that, you know, finding the people. And then the other thing, yeah, was ordering the time. I mean, like this day, this day is the best day of the week. This day is the Sabbath day. It became the anchor, I think, of our kind of keeping of time, that Saturday night to Sunday night was to be a day to rejoice, a day to rest, a day to celebrate with friends in the presence of Jesus, um, a, a day to just enjoy him. So it was a day when, come Saturday night, it would be like, whew, we're across the finish line. And, you know, I prepped my message. I was a pastor and did all that kind of stuff. And then the rest of that day was Saturday night was a day of enjoyment uh, with family or friends or whatever. And then Sunday was gathering together and then resting and then finally Sunday night prepping. That became so important. So the ordering of time in the presence of other people, I think, I think that's about it. Um, and here's the deal. I mean, if you do this even moderately well, which is me, I, you know, if, you know the story of the people with one talent and two talent and five talents, I'm probably 1.5 talent. But if you are faithful to do this moderately well, you will be amply rewarded. God just says, you want me? I will give you me. I'll give you myself. You, you approach him a little, he comes a mile. It, it's just, it, there's nothing like him. Uh, there's no one who is more amazing and stunning and gracious and kind and clear and direct and doesn't BS me. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, time and people that are focused on him, that's been all that's been what has made it possible. So. Uh, so, <laughs> thank you, Len, so much. So this practice in Daniel 6 that we read about last week, you remember what put Daniel in the lion's den? Praying. It was this. It was this. They set up this decree to try to trap Daniel, these people who are competing with him. 
no one would worship or pray to anybody but the king. And we get this verse. If I were going to tattoo any verse on my body, I think this might be it. <laughs> now, when he learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room when he knew that he would be violating this decree where the windows were open toward Jerusalem. And then three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed just as he had done before. Seventy years, morning, noon, and night. Friends, there is no command that you're supposed to pray three times a day like this. There's no command in all the Bible to do this. There is no quiet time command. God will not be angry if you take an afternoon off. <laughs> For those of you who ever had one on. <laughs> right, but here's Daniel. His life hangs in the balance and he has the chance, we read, to become the most powerful man in the world after the king. A chance to shape culture. All he has to do for 30 days is close the window and pray in the quietness of the heart. What are you doing, Daniel? Nothing, just talking to myself. Like, he, he has the chance to do this, but he is willing to die and give up the chance of a lifetime because he will not break this practice. It was that important. Could it be that Daniel, who is so brilliant, so accomplished. Could it be the Daniel saying, if I don't practice this, if I don't ground myself in the practice of the presence of God, I don't stand a chance in the poisoned and corrosive soil of Babylon. And if it was true for Daniel, how much more is that true for us living in the corrosive soil of Providence in 2022? Guys, how many of you have friends who aren't here anymore? How many of you have friends that aren't here? They're not walking with the way of Jesus. There's nowhere in the Bible that it commands you to do this, but Daniel did it, Jesus did it, Len does it. This isn't guilt. This is simply a time-tested ancient tradition across multiple streams of our faith that basically answers the question, how do I get in on the life of God? And so the challenge as we close the Daniel series is not one that I anticipated when I outlined the series at the very beginning. I anticipated getting into all the hot button issues and drilling down and I realized as I allowed the text to actually like God to use the text to speak to me and not just me to bring my agenda is that God again and again was going look at the thing. You can assume a lot of things about Daniel but there's one thing that's actually in here three times a day he prays. He's still ordering his life like we read in Daniel 9 after the rhythm of the temple. And so our invitation today this week and in the coming weeks is to this fixed hour prayer. To wake up in the morning, to read through the Lord's Prayer. Or to wake up in the morning and read through a psalm, to journal, to at noon slip out of the office for 10 minutes. Maybe it's here where you pray the Lord's Prayer. Ask, like, Lord, who, who might I pray for? to step into mission. How might you use me through the rest of the day? We're going to give you, by the way, some all sorts of different tools a little later on. But. And then to end the day with an examine, replay your day. 
Replay the day. Rejoice in the good things God's done. Repent of the things that are broken. Be aware of where you were aware of God and have some resolve to step forward. Taking time. That's, for me, if you want to line up with me, it will be 6.30, noon, and 5. Take time to pause and recenter your heart on God. And when you start to learn something, anyone remember the J-curve? Anyone seen the J-curve? You can put this up on the screen. All right, the idea here is that when you start to learn something new, you think it's going to, like, look like that top line. Like, you're just going to start to learn something new. It's going to get better and better and better and better. And it, it doesn't. As a general rule, if you've ever tried to learn an instrument, right, like trying to learn guitar, it's like those first couple months are brutal. You're developing calluses. You're like, somehow I'm worse at guitar now that I've been trying to learn it than I was when I started, right? And then slowly it starts to become more natural and you start to not even like think about it and suddenly you, you can play. This is the same, of, like, the same is true of anything. Even when it feels awkward for a bit, you stick with it, you stick with it, and it begins to become normal. And so tonight, if you're on our newsletter, and if you're not, you can fill out a high card. We're going to send you a link to a page that we've built to help us as a church step into this rhythm. And there'll be a number of different resources, including dialing into Lens, um, morning, evening, and, or sorry, morning, midday, and evening prayer times that he hosts on Zoom. Some apps that are really helpful to help ping. Some really simple guides that you can just carry with you anywhere. We don't want this to just be like, hey, maybe try this, and we're never going to revisit this subject again. If we want to be people who are walking in such clarity and boldness and courage in a culture of confusion, we have to be people of prayer. And we've talked about this, right, threaded throughout this series, but I, I thought, why not land here on this ancient, like, solidified practice that has been done by nearly anyone who's been a saint? <laughs> Rejoice always. Pray continually. This is God's will for your life. I know what God's will is for your life to rejoice always, and to pray continually, to start here. Look, the most important decisions you will ever make are the thousands of decisions that you make every day, every hour, and every moment. These are the most important decisions. Where you live will be important. What kind of job or where you go to school, those things are generally important, but they are nowhere near the most important part of your life. It is those moment by moments that over time have a cumulative effect that make an actual life. Does anybody want a life? Like a life worth living. A life of love and joy and generosity. Why are we drawn to the Mr. Rogers of the world, at least personalities like me? Why? Because it looks like so much like Jesus. I want to grow in kindness and gentleness. I want to have the courage to be the man or woman God made me to be. And yet the things that are the most important things are these external things. You can be a person of great life or death, whether you're at the top of the ladder or the bottom. A person of great life and death, whether you make the right move across country or don't. 
a person of life or death with all of these big decisions that come. Even some of you are trying to look for your spouse. I mean, gosh, it is like the, the journey of trying to like find someone to marry has way more to do with who you're becoming than finding the right person. Holy Spirit, we want to move through life from a posture of joyful, grateful prayer. And so we received 1 Thessalonians, and we received Daniel 6, and we received the testimony of Father Len this morning, Lord. As a gift. As a gift. The gift of that image of, of God just being like, look here, look here, look here. Friends, can I just say, like, I think so many of us struggle so much in prayer because we're bringing, like, a filtered version of ourselves to God. We're bringing, like, what we expect to bring or what we think this time should be or who we're trying to be. And we don't bring our doubts and our anger and our just ecstatic joy and our apathy. And we don't bring ourselves I love some good liturgy, but man, the fixed hour prayer like starts with the psalmist David saying, I, I, I toiled and I like wrestled. I brought all of myself to God morning, noon, and night, the psalmist says in so many words. We would be people, we would be people, Lord, who are threading, Lord, the, your presence through our days. Help us to fix our eyes on you. And so with our remaining few minutes, Holy Spirit, we just want to make some room for you to do whatever it is that you would like to do. To not hurry on and rush on. To sit in all of this and ask the Spirit to stir up what he wants to stir up, to convict where he wants to convict, to encourage where he wants to encourage. And God, as a sort of final prayer here for me, it's like I just, I want so desperately to just trust, Lord, just to trust you more. I trust you with my words. I trust you with like front part of my mind, Lord. But I, when it comes to just the, the day in and day out, Lord, there's just... There is almost a, a subtle, just lack of real trust, Lord, that you are where the life is, that you are where the joy is, that you are where the goodness is. And so we make room for you, Lord. We make room for you, Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.